and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Darren Hefty broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'll be joined a little bit later by my brother Brian. He's out on the road today and I was actually out on the road today too. I had a meeting with a group of farmers down in northwest Iowa and we weren't talking about today's topic for the show, canola production. We'll get to that in a little bit. We'll be taking your calls and questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email, radio at agphd.com. However, down in Northwest Iowa today, one of the topics we got discussing was early planting. And I, I just found it really interesting. I, I've talked to a lot of people who in 2021 planted a crop earlier than they normally had or planted all of their crop. In some cases, they were done the earliest they'd ever been done. And so there was a lot of, uh, I don't know, excitement at the time about, man, this should be great. Normally, early planting works out pretty good. And then it got cold again, and that made everybody nervous. And then the rest of the season, everyone is just kind of waiting to see, well, I guess we'll see how it turns out. Because in some cases, uh, the early planted crop got frost. And I know in the north, we get a little nervous about frost that eh, you don't want the crop to completely die. But if you lose a leaf or something like that, it's no big deal. In other parts of the country, that, that really holds people up. Yesterday, I was talking to a group of farmers from the southeastern part of the United States, and they were planting almost as late as we were. They were they were a little ahead, but not that much. And I thought, man, can't you plant earlier? And they said, everybody's so worried about we might possibly get nipped by a little frost. And and I understand that, but it's it's one of those risks that if you're in a colder climate, you realize, oh, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't take off that much yield in most cases. So we maybe get a little too gutsy up here. So as I was talking to these farmers today in Northwest Iowa, my first point was don't plant before the crop insurance date. And anytime anybody gets excited about early planting, and my brother is certainly one of them, uh, that that is kind of the first holdup is, okay, let's at least wait until after the first crop insurance date because those guys have all of our data. They know exactly when whenever they've had to pay out a claim. They know when the planting date was and you know exactly what kind of loss there was. So why would you not? use all the data. Instead, many times we get tempted to use just our own data. Well, remember back in 2018, I did this and it worked out good. So maybe I'll keep doing that. Well, man, that is one opportunity, one year ever to be able to work with someone who has the data for all the years and all the farmers. That's pretty fantastic. So that's my number one. If you're going to plant early, just wait till the crop insurance date for your crop and then get rolling. Uh, the, the second point that I make is, again, pretty elementary, but the soil must be fit. You have to have soil that's ready. And on our farm, here's one of the big things. When we're going to plant early, if the soils are fit and everything's perfect out there, it's just it's a little bit earlier than we'd like, man, we roll. Because what happens so often is we've got heavier soil. It's got plenty of clay in it. And we catch some rain a little bit afterwards, and it's not the warmest yet in the spring. It just takes a while for that soil to get fit again. And to be patient and wait until it's perfect again is tough. And sometimes those opportunities don't even come. You might only have a few days where the soil is perfectly fit, 
after that, you might be fighting some tough conditions the rest of the way. But I just look at it, if you're going to go on the early side, so you have plenty of time yet to get the crop in, don't push it if the soil conditions aren't fit. And, you know, we talk about a lot of other things. We talk about having a good cold germination percentage and making sure that we've got the highest vigor, highest quality seed that we could possibly put in the ground. Honestly, a little bit of that is out of your control. You can run tests on the seed, but it's just so important that whoever produced that seed did the best job possible the year before. I think about 2021, there were some areas of the country that had drought. There were some areas that had excessive heat. There was tar spot in a growing area across the upper Midwest. There were a lot of stressors last year, corn rootworm pressure and more. I don't know how the crop got raised exactly in many cases. And because of that, I know I'm taking a little bit of risk there. But you can germ test it. You can run a cold germ test and just see where you're at to begin with. And then, of course, you know, a great seed treatment. We talk about this quite often, too, how many different seed treatments are putting on the seed that we're planting, it makes a big difference. There's no question about it. Our trial work this year with the extra things that we're putting on seed versus just a basic fungicide and insecticide package, it was a huge yield difference, which we often expect on those stress years. On the perfect years where there's no stress or seemingly no stress, it doesn't make as much difference, but it still makes some. And that's a big thing, especially if you're going to be planting early, you know that you're putting more stress on that seed. And the other thing is just protecting that seed, whether it be fungicides or insecticides or you're doing in furrow. Those kind of things become even more important for us and have paid more for us when we planted early. Now, with the insecticide portion coming off a big rootworm year that we had, that one's going to pay quite a bit for a lot of guys out there this year. But let me talk about the fungicide one because that's one that seems to vary. And also, I don't have as many guys doing that. Uh, I was just talking to uh, another person in the industry today, and they said oh, only about 35% of farmers can put treatments in furrow. Now, I don't know what percentage of the acres those 35% cover. I'm going to guess they cover 50% of the acres. But Still, only a small percentage of farmers can put stuff in furrow. If you're going to do early planting on your farm, I would suggest getting set up to do some things in furrow. Personally, on our farm, this year we're going to use insecticide in the furrow. We're also going to use Zyway on quite a bit, quite a few acres. Not that Zyway is this perfect product or anything, but we had a nine bushel gain on it last year on our farm, so we're going to do it on some more acres. In the past, we've used things like Xanthian and Preaxor and Headline in furrow. We got our biggest gains on those when we planted early, and when we planted late, we didn't see as much gain. So just something to think about if you're thinking about planting early on your farm. Well, one of the crops you may be thinking about planting this year is canola. We're going to talk about that on today's Ag PhD show. Stay tuned. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions.
Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin Studio today and talking about canola production. And one of the things that's interesting, whenever we talk about different crops on the show, we always end up talking about fertility. And there's some little tweaks between crops that, hey, this nutrient may be a little bit more important with this crop, or this one might be a little more important to put on at this certain timing in this crop. And so we'll discuss that as we get going here with canola. But keep in mind, a lot of the fertility recommendations and a lot of things that you'll hear about specific nutrients, they really play into any crop that you're trying to grow, whether it's something in your garden or something out in the field. Uh, we've got Dan Peterson with us right now with AgriLiquid to get the conversation started. Dan, how you doing? Great. Good to talk to you, Dan. You bet. You bet. Okay, so today is canola, and we're always bringing you a different challenge. Uh, what What do you think about when you think about canola in terms of fertility? Is Is this something where you can deliver a lot with the planter, or have you got to do things at different times? Uh, well, that's that's a that's an interesting question. You can deliver some with a planter. Uh, depending on your setup, um, but the majority of the fertility that you're going to need will have to be uh, delivered um, separately, um, again, depending on how your planter is set up. Um, for example, nitrogen. Um, canola is pretty sensitive to nitrogen, so you really don't want it any closer than a two-by-two, two. Uh, so so little or no nitrogen uh, in furrow. The, the amount of nitrogen that comes with a high-quality starter, like a 624-6 or a uh, 989 or our own pro germinator, you know, at three or four gallons, that's fine. Um, but really no more than that, uh, which that's probably true of any um, legume crop or most of them. So what's interesting, though, uh, you mentioned that canola, different crops have, you know, their own kind of tweaks. Uh, nitrogen management in canola uh, is important. Um, so, for example, uh, it takes more nitrogen. It's not a legume, so it takes more nitrogen per bushel than, a, say, a, a grain crop, a, a small grain crop or corn. Uh, probably figure in that two to two and a half uh, units of nitrogen per bushel. But 
just like in sugar beets, if you go past the kind of optimum nitrogen rate for sugar production in beets, sugar will actually decline. And just like the, in, in sugar beets, oil production, which is the primary value of canola, the oil production will actually begin to decline if you put on too much nitrogen. Yeah, that is interesting. I love I love the idea because I always tease my brother that uh, if we put on 50 pounds and it works good, he's going to want to put more on. And I always tease him he's got the moron program that, oh, I want more yield. I just got to keep putting more on. But there is a limit on all these things. And, and like you said, nitrogen may be one of those nutrients that's the, the make or break nutrient. If you get it right, uh, that's a good deal. If you don't, that can be a bad thing. The other one I think about, Dan, is micronutrients. And so often we forget about them. We get talking about NPK and sulfur. And I know you don't forget about them, but uh, when when we talk with farmers a lot, it's, man, that's the last thing that I'm buying. And if I have to make cuts in my budget, oftentimes the micros suffer. And I think that's a big mistake. And when you look at canola, micronutrients can make a huge difference in terms of disease tolerance and just total performance during the season. I, I agree. And, you know, you look at where canola, most of the canola is grown, uh, which is the southern um, prairie provinces of Canada and the northern part of the Great Plains in the U.S. Well, the, you know, the soils there are very, very similar. Um, but those soils are almost always deficient in manganese and boron. In fact, uh, most of these soils are higher pH. And manganese is almost entirely unavailable once you get past a pH of, say, 7.5 or so. And so that becomes important to uh, to make sure you have enough manganese out there with the right placement, of course. And then the other one, boron, is uh, discussed quite commonly in canola. And theoretically, uh, canola should express boron deficiencies more often than it does. But, um, but again, boron will be deficient almost always in the plains. And a foliar application of boron can definitely improve the crop. Um, in fact, uh, the Western Producer Magazine reported that blasting or flower abortion is thought to occur um, more than it normally would due to boron deficiency. Yeah, that's a big so deal. I like, when, I like, uh, oh, go ahead, Dan. Yeah I, like applica- yeah, I like applications of foliar boron and manganese at stage five, right? It's beginning of flowering. And, and these, these nutrients don't cost much. No, know, so, no, you're right. And I get it. Fertilizer prices are high and everybody's nervous about this. We're not tacking something on here that's going to add another $50 to your fertilizer program or anything like that. That's the good thing with the micros. We're looking at small doses, not a huge budget item. And man, you can really make a big difference, especially with timely applications like Dan's mentioning here. We're talking with Dan Peterson with Agro Liquid about fertilizing canola, certainly a big part of the puzzle, but there are many more we're going to try and get to here on today's program. Dan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Okay, thank you. Uh, we've got Pat Murphy with us right now. Man, we're happy to have Pat on, president of the U.S. Canola Association and Northern Canola Growers. And and as always, Pat, super busy, so really appreciate your time today. Well, yeah, you you picked a good day. We're actually in Langdon, North Dakota, having our Northern Canola Growers uh, Ag Expo and annual meeting. So uh, I just stepped out of the meeting for a little bit to 
take your call. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. You know, 2022 is a year with tons of opportunity. All these crops are worth quite a bit of money. There's a lot of competition for the acres. What are the big concerns for canola production going into this year? And what are some of the opportunities that, that your guys are excited about? Well, I think the probably the big uh, concern would be, you know, you got two. You got the uh, high uh, high fertilizer prices, and uh, you also have. Uh, we're still relatively dry. Further the further west and the further north you go, the drier we are. Get into Canada, I think they're still partially dry, and western North Dakota is still fairly dry. Especially the whole northwest part of the state is still dry. And then the other thing is the the opportunities that are nice here is your, uh, you know, this biofuel thing has been big. Uh, and I, I think, I think if we don't get in our own way here, I think this thing will kind of take care of itself. But, uh, first thing we want to do as producers is grow that crop and then hopefully figure out an opportunity way to sell it and, and, and do okay on it. So many growers that we've talked to, Pat, uh, over the last six months have said canola has just been a main staple in their rotation. It's been a profitable crop for them. And a lot of guys feel like they're starting to get pretty good at doing it. What do you think some of the real keys are where you're at in North Dakota to raising good canola? Uh, I think, uh, I think like uh, your previous caller had mentioned, you got to have the proper, the proper fertilization. And you gotta you got to put, you know, there's no corners to cut. So you want to put your good quality seed, whatever varieties of seed you want to grow, make sure you, you get them in the ground right and then and, and just make that your priority. And I think you'll be, you'll be just fine. There's a lot of good information out there. And uh, so there's a lot of help if you have any questions. And I think, I think maybe more than anything is just take your time, do a good job and, and be particular and you'll be just fine. I know you guys do a lot of no-till up in your part of the state. How has that played into this? I would assume with the drought conditions, it's probably helped quite a bit. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Last year we seeded, in 2021 now, we seeded our whole crop basically in the standing wheat stubble, and uh, it just it worked out good. To, whether you're a single disc or you're a whole type or whatever, you can that ground is firm and you get that seed in. We probably have a tendency maybe to seed a little bit later than normal. My part of the, where I farm, our, our June 5th is our last planting date for crop insurance. So we've been probably more in that whole 20th of, of May time frame to seed. Ground's pretty warm. If there's a little moisture there, that canola will pop up in four or five days and, and you're off to the races. And I think part of that is we've tried to get ahead of the flea beetle problem so we don't seed quite as early. And uh, it's worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, there there's certainly some challenges to raising canola. It's not like it's the easiest crop in the world, but man, you're right. If you pay attention to those details and get your crop off to a good start, it can certainly be a very profitable crop for a lot of growers. We're talking yep. with Pat Murphy here, who's the the president of the U.S. Canola Association and the Northern Canola Growers. Pat, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, uh, and good luck here at, on your meetings. Okay, one more thing though, just. Uh, just to mention, I am the past president of the U.S. Canola and president of Northern Canola. I don't <laughs> okay. Want to take away from anything away from Andrew Moore, my counterpart in uh, Georgia. So thank <laughs> All you right. Very much. Sounds good, Pat. Thank you so much. And have a Merry Christmas coming up, too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
it came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the toughest, hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide, a new formulation, delivers superior flush-after-flush control of wild oats and green foxtail. And Everest 3.0 is registered for use on yellow foxtail, barnyard grass, Japanese brome, and key broadleaf weeds that can invade your wheat and rob your yields. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Always read and follow label directions. Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? Check out CanDo Financing on Case IH tractors and hay tools today. Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. Talking about canola production on today's Ag PhD radio show. Thanks for tuning in. Now, if you are a canola grower and you've got some questions, we would love to hear from you today at 844-44-AG-PHD. And if you want to talk about something other than canola, that's fine, too. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head back to the phone lines. we got Clayton Harder with us right now up in Manitoba with the Manitoba Canola Growers Association. Uh, Clayton, how are you doing today? Not too bad, thanks. How are you guys doing there? Well, pretty good. Pretty good. All right, so we were just talking to the folks down in North Dakota a little bit about raising canola there. Uh, what's the outlook for, for 2022 and the canola crop for Canada? Well, certainly where prices and markets are right now, everything looks pretty promising. 
Uh, I know there's definitely some dry spots still in Western Canada that don't have a lot of snow right now. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are probably looking at it like a glass half full, I would imagine, at this point. Yeah, there's definitely opportunity there. And it's funny because my, my dad, when we were growing up, when we got some rain or, or snow, early, especially early in the, the winter, he would say, okay, now I feel like we've got a shot. And people are like, what are you talking about? It's a long way to tell the crop. And dad's like, man, if I just have some moisture in the ground, we at least have a shot. Because I would imagine the canola acres, there really isn't irrigation. Is there? I mean, this is dry land crop primarily. Yeah, I think there's a few acres of irrigated production, but in the grand scheme of things, they're minimal, really don't account for much, no. It's all dry land. All right, so if we catch a little bit of moisture, we catch some snow here, so we think we're going to get some snow melt and, and get excited about having a chance to, to raise a high-yielding crop, certainly the prices are there right now. What are some of the other challenges? I know fertilizer prices, everybody wants to talk about how fertilizer is so high. Uh, how about in terms of marketing the crop? Is there a tremendous demand out there? Yeah, right now it appears to be that there is tremendous demand. I mean, this last previous harvest here in 2021, the crop was short in Canada, the crop was short in North Dakota. Uh, so, you know, we're starting out next year's harvest, like from a big picture look at a bit of a deficit. So the market seemed quite strong at this point, for sure. What are some of the exciting uses for canola right now that are really driving this? Well, Certainly canola is known for its high quality uh, oil for cooking, and that's been its number one thing for a long time, like globally. Uh, as of late, though, uh, it looks like on the horizon, markets are really opening up for biodiesel uh, in Canada and in the U.S., and I think that's really uh, causing some future excitement here down the road. Yeah, yeah, that is great. Uh, in terms of uh, looking at acres going into 2022, what are the early projections? Do you do you expect more acres to go in or just hopefully acres that can yield a little better than they have through the drought years? I'm probably the worst person to take a guess at where I think <laughs> acres are going to be next well, year. I, I, mean, I am too, Clayton. I'm, ac- I'm the actual right worst. I'm the actual worst one to guess that. <laughs> That's why I'm asking you. Oh, I know. We just can never yeah, figure that well, out. No, for sure. I hear it. You know what? I think right now for a farmer in Western Canada, a lot of things look promising. Wheat prices are strong. Canola prices are strong. So are a lot of other crops. So it's actually probably a pretty tough decision in a lot of places about how many acres of which crop for a person to grow. Yeah, it, it sure is. What What would you say are the biggest challenges? What What makes canola uh, tough to grow? Is it weed control? Is it is it flea beetles or other insects? What What are the tough challenges? Yeah, I would say the most difficult part, at least for us here and areas around where I farm, would be establishment. And establishment difficulties arising from flea beetle pressure or a frost or the combination of those two things. And the last number of years, that's probably been the hardest thing is managing flea beetles. Yeah, I I know almost everyone we talk to uh, discusses what their planting date is going to be. And earlier in the show, we were we were chatting just a little bit with Pat Murphy down in North Dakota, and he was saying, man, getting that planter set and making sure you've got that seed placement just how you want is super important too. So making sure you're planting into good conditions is going to be critical. Uh, crop establishment, I think with almost every crop we talk about, if we really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, that's where it all begins. If we don't do a good job there, it's just hard to overcome that. Yeah, 100%. No, that's just it. If you don't get off on the right foot, it's tough to recover later down the road. 
speaking with Clayton Harder up in Manitoba. Clayton, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the work that you're doing on the boards and and uh, working for all the growers up there. It makes a huge difference. I know you don't hear thank you enough. You a lot of times hear, "Hey, can you get this done?" <laughs> and and all the critical things, but uh, it, it sure does make a difference. So thanks for what you do, and thanks for being on the show today. Really appreciate that too. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. You bet. Let's head down to Montana. we got Tony on with us right now. It's it's Tony Fast with FastAgMontana.com and the Fast Ag Montana YouTube channel. Tony, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you today? Well, pretty good. Uh, Clayton brought up a good point, though. When you actually have a decent wheat price for once, uh, Durham's been a nice price, canola's got a decent price, you actually have some tough choices to make this year. Do you just stick with your rotation, or what do you do? Uh. For the most part, yeah, we're usually in a four-year rotation on our farm, so our canola acres are going to stay roughly the same as they always are. Um, maybe uh, changing some wheat acres out to durum acres, but for the most part, we're going to stick to our guns, I guess. You know, in, in areas where a lot of cereal grains are grown, having other alternatives in there like canola has, has been a really good thing. What have you learned as, you, as you've worked canola in, and how long have you been doing it? Um, since about 2011 or 12, somewhere in there was our first crop and it was an absolute disaster. Had a huge rain that washed most of the seed out of the ground and we didn't know what to do with it. Ended up just taking it to harvest that way, the poor stand, but, uh, learned a lot of, a lot of just things along the way, little things with, you know, making sure you got good seed treat on it and like what your options are, if you can try some with some insecticide on it seems to help in our area because we don't have a huge flea beetle problem but some years cutworms are an issue for us but just getting the seeding rate right with the equipment that you're seeding it with is the big thing get it off the ground yeah yeah i know what you mean there we plant a little bit of canola every year at our ag phd field day site and uh, we had one year where we didn't quite get that seeding rate where we thought we got it really really thick and that didn't turn out so good for us it's kind of like we were talking with dan peterson with agro liquid about fertilizer and he's like yeah we need nitrogen but if you overdo it that can be a problem too in terms of fertility challenges is nitrogen the toughest one to manage or or what do you think uh, really helps make a crop in your area um yeah the nitrogen is kind of the limiting factor for us it seems like you can always raise a lot of bushels of wheat but your protein might suffer but what we've noticed is that that fertility really limits your top end of the yield. Sure, sure. Uh, talk to us a little bit about about social media and about uh, some of the information that you're putting out there. What have you learned this past year? What what are some of the challenges with that? And, and are you still having fun? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's still fun. Lots, uh, lots of different things to show on the farm every day, whether it's, you know, working in the shop or equipment or, or breakdowns and everyone likes the stuck tractor. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun just trying to portray exactly what happens on the farm, not what all the, the haters think happens on the farm. Absolutely. What, what do you get for feedback? Do you have some of those people that, that uh, will actually admit that, that, wow, it's a little different than what I expected? Uh, a lot of comments, uh, it's a lot different than what we grew up doing. You know, there's a lot, you know, truck drivers that maybe grew up on a farm or even people that live in 
you know, off the farm now that remember growing up some of their memories. It's, it's good to get feedback from what they, what they remember. And they just can't believe how like technological all the, all the monitors are. And, you know, it's, it's a lot different than just sticking, sticking grain or, or seed in the ground like it used to be. Well, That's thanks. probably their biggest, biggest comment on it. So. Yeah, thanks for sharing a little bit about your operation. And, and I guess I gave you a little bit of plug at the start, but if you'd let our listeners know where they can find you, I'm sure you'll get, get uh, a bunch of them to, to join in. Yeah, on YouTube is the main one. Uh, it's just Fast Egg Montana and uh, also on Facebook and Instagram. But majority of the content does go on YouTube. So Awesome. Well, Tony, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on here. Good luck here heading into the Christmas season and Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, too. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about canola on today's program, but also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now... You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, tiling clinic two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations and much more there's great information here that we want to share with you so to learn more about these events and register go to agphd.com there's a lot of great information here and we can't wait to share it all with you to learn more about these events and register go to agphd.com what do you think of when you hear palmer amaranth or water hemp if you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields you don't have to think about them at all with two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Hey, everybody. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and it is Ag PhD mailbag time. You can send your questions in radio at agphd.com, or you can call us and we can discuss your question, 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, I got Brian on with me now. Brian's doing a little bit of traveling, so we'll we'll let him in here in just a second. Uh, but had a couple of comments first. Yeah, the first one from Dan. He said, "Cattle or sheep grazing on corn stalks is a great benefit for soil health. Interseeding a cover crop can add to available forage, and unrolling round bales for winter feeding can add more organic matter along with the manure." Yeah, a lot of different things that go into grazing cattle out in corn stalks. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Dan. We appreciate that. Uh, we got this one from Monty. He said, uh, you guys talk about cover crop. I've got weeds. That's my cover crop. And I agree with you, Monty. They kind of are a cover crop. As long as you don't let them go to seed, that's a big deal. Uh, he said, uh, one of the cool things about it is he said he, he's growing pumpkins and he said he, he tries to, uh, control the weeds for they're too big, but, uh, it seems like if he does a pretty good job controlling it and, and you don't do tillage and all that, you kind of, kind of leave those weeds in there to hold soil in place, or at least the carcasses of the weeds. I get that. Just don't let them go to seed Monty. That that's a, a not a good deal. All right, got a question from Harrison, and he said, I'm wondering if you guys would talk about P and K. Where do you like to put them? How do you best like to put them out on the ground? Uh, Brian, do you want to talk about P and K a little bit and where, we, where and how we like to put them? Yeah, so the biggest thing with phosphorus and potassium is just to understand they don't move well in soil at all, which is, I mean, can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. The good part about that is where you place them, they're basically stuck. So you don't have to worry about them leaching out like you do with nitrogen. Now, don't get me wrong, potassium can move to some degree, especially in a really light soil with lots of rain. But where we farm and in most of the Midwestern United States and Southern Canada, we got heavy soils. So when you're talking 15 CEC or above, there's very little risk of losing your potassium for years and years and years and years and years. And you're never going to lose your phosphorus, your zinc, your copper. So anyway, with these nutrients, um, that's the good part. The bad part is if you don't put them down a little bit deeper in the soil, then you have less chance to recover them, at least in the short term. So what we usually talk to people about is place them a little bit deeper. You know, they don't have to be super deep, but at least get them below that top couple inches. And then you should be in a little bit better shape. Now, we like to deep place some of our P and K um, just because we have drier conditions a lot of times and there's more moisture as you get down 6 to 10 inches deep in the ground. You don't have to do that, but that's something that we've done fairly well. The other thing when we talk about placement, if you want faster recovery, in other words, recovering this year instead of five years from now, band instead of broadcast. Broadcasting is fine, but in a lot of cases, it'll be years before you'll recover that broadcast fertilizer. So if you're renting ground, that's where we really encourage you, band that fertilizer, or if you have really low fertility, band that fertilizer so you can get uptake this year. Hey, thanks for the question. We appreciate that, Harrison. Get this one from Daniel, and Daniel is in upstate South Carolina, 
And he said, my church has some unused area around it with decent grass for pasture. So they're planning to put some steers out on those areas and uh, fertilize the pasture and then then use those profits to help people in the community. So I, I've got a few soils questions for you guys. I've got a pH of 5.6. I've got lighter, low CEC soils. We get lots of rain through the winter. So I'm going to wait and hold off on nitrogen until next spring. Uh, what my plan is, is, is uh, my fertilizer company did some soil sampling. They found I've got 11 pounds of phosphorus and 145 pounds of potassium in the soil, which isn't enough. So they're recommending putting on a 150, 80, 60 to try to meet those needs. So my plan was to put a ton of lime out there to try to get that pH up and then put on a hundred pounds of potash and 200 pounds of DAP. And then in the spring, like late February, I'm going to put 200 pounds of urea on because our grass starts growing in mid-March. Does that sound like a good plan to you, or is there something else you yep. would consider doing? Uh, that's that's probably what I would do. That sounds good. It just depends on how high you want to build the phosphorus, especially with potassium, like we were just talking about, in a really light soil that, with lots of rain, then it's not going to stay there forever. But phosphorus will. So, you know, if you want to build your phosphorus up a little bit this year, fine. If you want to build it up more this year, you certainly could. That's what we often do on our farm. But here's the thing. When you're going to build phosphorus, even putting on the amounts that you did, I take a look at your zinc and I take a look at your copper because we very often like to see the phosphorus to zinc ratio, or I should say we always like to see the phosphorus to zinc ratio in the general vicinity of 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc and phosphorus to copper somewhere in the ballpark of 30 to 1. So it doesn't have to be exactly that, but just somewhere near that. So if the ratios get too far out of out of whack, then you can actually hurt your yield in some cases by putting on more phosphorus, which I know seems a little crazy. But anyway, yeah, it sounds certainly like you're on the right track. All right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. Thanks for what you're doing, too. That's uh, that's awesome that you're going to raise some money to to help people in the community. Uh, got this one from Robert in Illinois, and he said, guys, I've got a pretty good problem here with Palmer and Lamb's Quarter most years. However, I've been using your three pre-program on my soybeans now in rotation, and I've kind of gotten things fairly in check, but I'm still concerned yeah. about Palmer and Lamb's Quarters. I'm planting Enlist soybeans this year, and I just got word from my chemical dealer that Liberty is going to cost more than $20 per application. Then I start yep. figuring in my additives and so forth, and yep. Liberty doesn't look like a great option for me. I've been using Authority MTZ plus Trifluralin as my pre. What would you mm -hmm. do in a post program? Do you like the post residuals? What about yeah. two shots of Enlist 1, or am I asking for trouble? Um, we've done two shots of Enlist 1. You can do that. It, look at it this way. The Liberty thing is a short-term deal. The price is going to come down most likely in 23, and it's going to come way down by 24 is my prediction. We'll see what happens. But what I'm saying is even next year, you'll probably go back to Liberty. So doing two shots of Enlist 1 is fine. Otherwise, you could run with something early post in addition to the three pre. So you put the three pre's up, and then you say, man, I got a bad Palmer pigweed field. So... So what I want to do is, at least on that ground, I want to put out either Warrant Ultra or Anthem Max. That'll give you a Group 15 and a PPO, so two more modes of action that you will have some residual for toward fighting this these tough weed problems. Lambs quarters and, 
and Palmer can be controlled, but you got to get lots of herbicide out there. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that, Robert. Uh, get this one from Eric up in Wisconsin. Ooh, this is going to be one of your favorites, Brian. White mold. <laughs> Eric said, I know you guys talk about white mold, and you have fought that on your own farm too. I have some soybean fields that this year will be back on ground that I have a white mold history. I got a couple of questions for you on products for control, and then if you'd like to comment on a total program, that's fine. I'm curious about contans, what your uh, results have been with that, and also Endura, if you think it's worth the money. Okay, we like contans. You just have to make sure that you keep it frozen until you're going to, to till just maybe a few days before you use it. That's the big key there. Otherwise, those live microbes are going to die. So keep it frozen, and then it will work just fine. Uh, that is a product you have to put on the ground before planting, or it could have been after harvest. Um, if you, let's say, had a crop that had white mold, you put it on after harvest on the ground, and it'll kill the sclerotia. So you'll get the best control that way. But if you want to do it before planting, that can certainly be done too. As far as Endura, yeah, it costs a lot of money, but let's look at it this way. Okay, it's around 35 bucks an acre. For soybeans, that's only three bushels. And we've lost 90 bushels on our farm in areas to white mold. Seriously, 90, 90. So do I mind spending three? No. Endura is great. You got to use it right at R1, so first flower, and then you'll get the best performance typically. You use it once per season. It's an SDHI. Don't use it twice. Just use it once. And I think that's a fantastic way to go. But what we usually tell people is, look, you don't have white mold across whole fields. Usually you have white mold in areas of fields. And in those areas, that's where I would spot spray the Endura and save your money where white mold doesn't usually show up. Yeah, I think mixing that up, like you say, hitting hitting the uh, problem areas with the more expensive and better treatment, it's a great way to go rather than spending that money on every single acre if you don't need it everywhere. Thanks for the question, Eric. We'll be right back with more of your questions after this. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? you may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. 
Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can-do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, discover amazing rates on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means we're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Just got an email from Travis. He's an agronomist in South Dakota, and he said, had one of my customers call me and ask about the correlation between high pH and high base saturation K. He applies a lot of manure, and he raises a fair amount of corn on corn. I'm sending in his soil samples, just wondering if you could help me. How could he fix this? Uh, I had mentioned trying uh, a good crop, trying to mine down some of these high levels of the good corn crop, but he also wants to fix the pH. What do you think, Brent? Okay, so for me, I would say I'm not that worried about the pH. It's not that high. Your low sevens nothing to get too alarmed about. Actually, the highest pH that I saw was an eight, and that's where the potassium was lowest. So get your nutrient levels built up everywhere, and you don't actually have really high levels of P and K. I mean, you're talking five to eight percent on K, so that's good. I, that's certainly not excessive, and with a great crop, you're going to take a bunch of that out even in one year. So don't get too worried about it. You're fine. Nothing to be alarmed about. Don't be cutting way back or anything like that you're okay. And actually salt levels and sodium levels look good too. That's one of the biggest concerns we usually have with people who are putting on lots of manure. What I would tell you is if you do want to lower your pH a little bit, and just think about it this way, sulfur is a need for your fields. Your sulfur levels are low. So we're talking uh, 10 to 20 parts per million on sulfur. So you need sulfur anyway. So I would use at least a little bit of elemental sulfur as long as you have good drainage. So the key thing here is make sure you have good drainage first. If you don't have good drainage, then forget what I just said about elemental sulfur. It's not going to help you at all. But if you have your ground tiled and uh, you are going to apply sulfur, which I would absolutely suggest, use at least a little elemental sulfur and that will help. But otherwise, most things look fairly decent, I thought. What do you think, Darren? Well, there's a lot of spots in there that, that have got things that you'd be really proud of. I mean, there's some phosphorus levels that are really good and strong, and 
Uh, the base saturation K, I mean, it bounces around a little bit. There's some variance there, but it's not bad. The magnesium percentage is generally in the teens. So, yeah, it's it's not – you're not in a terrible spot there. You should be able to raise high-yielding crops right from the beginning. Right. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Travis. Really appreciate that. Uh, had another soils question come in. This one came from Matthew. He's in eastern Nebraska, and he said, Guys, I just bought a brand-new field – and we had a chance to get in there this fall and do some strip tilling and put down some, some NPK and sulfur. But he said the ground is very hard. It's like a brick. Uh, it's got a pivot on there. And I'm planning on putting corn in there. It was corn last year. I just got a few questions around this. There are some pH issues where I've got in the low pH areas, it's 4.9 to the upper fives. And I've got some high pH where it's uh, all the way up into the eights in other parts of the field. I've got access to gypsum. I did two-acre grids out there. Would you be confident putting gypsum on, which I can get for free uh, just because of where I'm sitting? I could also get ag lime, uh, but I would have to pay for the ag lime. Uh, so just kind of curious what you think could be causing maybe my compaction issues or my, my hard soil and if you would get after the lime and or gypsum right away. Yes. Most likely you have low calcium levels. So you either have high sodium or high magnesium or something like that, but you pretty pretty likely have uh, low calcium levels. So in the high pH ground, I'd be using gypsum. In the low pH ground, I'd use some lime. And the, the thing is, uh, gypsum can be used in that low pH ground, but it's not going to raise the pH. Well, you want the pH raised if it's down in the fours. So lime is your ticket there. Even though it costs some money, it'll be worth it. Yeah, and when I look at, at hard ground, I agree with you. I like to see that calcium base saturation percentage up. And if it's not up at least into the 60 to 65% range, that's some an area that, yes, I'd like to add some calcium out there in one way, shape, or form. Uh, and, and, yes, you got variance in pH. So in the high pH ground, probably gypsum. In the low pH ground, probably lime. And then the other thing I look at is organic matter percentage. And uh, I didn't mention this, Brian, but he's got organic matter as low as 1.3% and as high as 5.3%. Uh, so, But a lot of it's only in the twos. So that may be something, too, over a long, long period of time. You just look at what decisions can I make, and strip till is one of them, and corn on corn is another. Those are both good decisions in terms of building organic matter up in soils. So as you build organic matter up, we've built ours up, what, a couple of points, Brian, through the time we've been farming? Probably, uh, on average, one to two points, yeah. Yeah, and I know a lot of people will notice that the Ag PhD field, they say, they'll say the ground just feels kind of spongy. Uh, it's it's mainly, in my opinion, because we've gotten our base saturation percentages right in terms of calcium, but we've also really built up that organic matter as much as we can. That just provides some cushion to the soil. So glad that you're strip tilling. Hopefully you broke through whatever there was. I, I know it's getting kind of cold out now, but if it was possible to just do a little bit of digging and see if you can kind of do determine where those layers are at to make sure that you're breaking through them, that would probably be a good thing too. Hey, thanks for the question, Matthew. Really appreciate that. Congratulations to you picking up some new ground and getting going on it. Uh, that will be a fun journey for you over the next few years. And then the last thing that I would say about that too, this is something Neil Kinsey had said at one of our meetings. He, he said, don't spend all your money up now 
and then have somebody else take the benefit of that. So uh, just work your way into this as the budget allows. Like you say, some of the stuff you can get for cheap, then that's great. But if things are expensive, just just work your way into them as you have cash uh, so, you don't, so you don't get yourself in any trouble as you're doing that. All right, Brian, uh, had a, a number of questions that had come up around chemical pricing. Most of them, I had mentioned uh, a question earlier here about Liberty, but had several that came in around Roundup. What are you doing since the price of Roundup is so hard or so high? We've been using it in our corn for broadleaf control, primarily post-emerge. Are you switching to other things? Are you including Roundup at all in your programs this year? Well, if the question is, what are we doing on our farm? Um, we're not doing all that much different. We have been using low rates of Roundup, and we will continue doing that, probably a half or a one-third rate. That'll take care of any escaped grasses. And then we're using something else to kill the broadleaves. So nothing much is changing for us. But for a lot of people, if you have been using a full rate of Roundup, that's where they're looking at, you know what, I th now that prices are back to the same level they were the spring of 2008, um, so it's no higher, it's about the same. Um, what happened in 2008 is this exact same thing. A lot of our people that we work with, they just cut back on the Roundup rate, so they had enough in there to kill grass, and then they used an HVPD. You can go a full rate of HVPD for like three bucks to kill broadleaf. So it's, if it works in your rotation, it's great. Atrazine is about double the price of last year, maybe even more than that, but it's still really inexpensive if you just throw a quarter of a pound or a half a pound in or something like that. So a lot of people are doing that, still getting by for under $10 an acre for a pretty complete program that kills grasses and broadleaves in Roundup Ready Corn. Okay, get this one in from Tim over in Minnesota. And he said, guys, I'm sure you're aware of this, but in, in our part of Minnesota, there are soybean aphids that pyrethroid insecticides are not working very well on anymore. We have been using Lorsban, but my dealer told me Lorsban is no longer available and I'm going to need to find other alternatives. Just curious what your experience was with soybean aphids, what other products you've tried, and if there's anything cost-effective considering all the price increases this year. Well, if the pyrethroids don't work for you anymore, so that's what we've been using and what we continue to use because we don't have the resistance, at least at this point. If that doesn't work for you, that's a nice $2 option for the full rate. Then you're going to spend more money no matter what you do. Lorsban is going to cost you more. There's dimethoate that some people will use. That's another organophosphate. You could also use Transform or Safina. Transform and Safina are, they have a very limited insect spectrum. They're not going to kill a lot of different bugs but they are very good on aphids and will give you some residual. But they're about 6 bucks an acre or so versus the $2 for the pyrethroid. So you got choices, but it's just going to cost more money. All right, last question. This comes from Bob in Missouri. He said, I'm considering putting on a fungicide at planting time on my corn. I hear you guys talk about Zyway a lot, but I've also seen some chatter online that maybe there are better alternatives. Are there other fungicides you would recommend, or what do you think about this Zyway product? Well, Bob, uh, I'll, uh, I'll take like Oh, oh. Yeah, we got okay, less. Yeah, you go ahead. We got less than a minute, yep, Brian. Um, so I was just gonna say, Bob, we we do like Zyway. We had nine bushel gain using Zyway on our farm this year. But uh, I think I mentioned this earlier on today's program too. We have also used other products like Preaxor and Headline and Xanthian over the years. We had good data on those products too. Uh, the thing that we liked about the Zyway is just that it had claims for disease control in season much longer lasting than these other products that's why we were talking about that one more but no if you don't want to do that you can certainly go with uh, one of those other products headline or preaxor would be my picks 
Thanks for the questions on today's show, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.